You know, you know, it's interesting though, too, we talk about accountability. And I think for me, the big thing, Chris, is that it opened up vulnerability, that I was able to start to talk about these things, that I didn't like put up this protective shell, this facade. And that really helped me bring out my true self and my true personality. And once I got into recruiting, once I got some wins under my belt, you know, I took plenty of punches to the face in recruiting. And anybody who's in recruiting, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But it really wasn't until I went out and launched my, my own business, NHP Talent Group here, that all that confidence, you know, came to light. And it wouldn't have happened until unless I hit my lowest. And that opened up the real vulnerability and accountability of Vortex, which helped everything. What's up, everyone? I'm Chris Ronzio, CEO and founder of Trainual, and this is Organized Chaos. As always, we're taking a page from a different leader's playbook so you can put it in yours as you build your own. And you just heard from Adam Posner. This episode's all about owning your losses, or what Adam likes to say, owning your L. Adam is the founder and president at NHP Talent Group, a boutique New York-based talent consultancy. He specializes in talent for senior level type roles within digital marketing, media, e-commerce, product, and content creation at startups and different agencies or brands. He's also the host of a top global career podcast, The Pazcast. You can check that out. This episode was interesting because from a recruiter's standpoint, we got to hear what motivates employees, why they would want to leave one company when he talks to them and join another one, and what the matchmaking process is behind the scenes and some of the questions that Adam uses to get to the center of that. So whether you are looking to hire a recruiter, having an in-house recruiter yourself, or just assigning a champion that's going to own this process within your business, I think it's an insightful conversation on how to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success, avoiding some of the roadblocks of recruiting and attracting the right people to your business. So take a listen. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Organized Chaos. I'm your host, Chris Ronzio, and today our special guest is Adam Posner. What's up, Adam? Chris, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Thanks for having uh, having us, I guess, before your weekend and, uh, and, and spending your Friday afternoon with us. So um, I, I was reading through your story and you've got a pretty cool, unique journey that took you through a, a, a background in marketing and advertising to your dream job, which we can talk more about, and into NHP Talent Group where you are today. And that is all about recruiting. And so especially in this talent market, this difficult talent market, there's so much we can talk about with recruiting, but we've got to start from the beginning. So where, where, where should we start? A- advertising, agency jobs? Yeah, man. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's quite the journey. I'm kind of a Swiss Army knife, but I'll, I'll give your audience kind of the, the long story, long as we like to say here. Born, born and raised New Yorker, something I definitely take a lot of pride in. 15 years, you know, I always knew I wanted to get into marketing and advertising since high school and college and all that. And I did just that 15 years working in New York City ad land uh, at different agencies, brand side, American Express, Sirius XM. And then I found myself over at VaynerMedia 2014 working for the great Gary V, which I, uh, I thought was my forever job so so you must have been following him for a long time how how long did you want to work there before you ended up there well, it's interesting. So if you hit the rewind button, uh, that's 2014. Um, I actually started talking to the folks over there at the end of 2013. They didn't have any openings. 2014 came around. Uh, I went through the interview process. I knew a couple of people that worked there. And uh, it was, I think, early October, I got the, I got the news that... Uh, that we were ready to make a hire. And I started uh, right before Thanksgiving. And so back then they weren't at the Hudson Yards or, or wherever it is no. now, right? 
No, they're over, they're over at Park Avenue. And that was before Gary was a household name. I mean, the folks in the industry, I mean, listen, if you were in social media and you knew anything about anything, you knew who Gary was and you knew the impact uh, that it was really starting to have and make ripples in the marketplace. And so, so you got there and how was it? Yeah, it was interesting too, because you have this vision sometimes like when you, when you start a new job and you're excited about it and you really think it's going to be your forever job and you really think the grass is going to be greener on the other side. Unfortunately, Chris, for me, that, that was just not the case. Um, and you know, a lot of it was responsibility on my side. I think looking back on it, it's safe to say that Vayner Media had a responsibility as well. And they were a young organization at the time. They weren't fully formed. They had their flaws. I had my flaws and it just wasn't the right chemistry. It just did not work out. I was certainly not the person that I am now. And uh, I think it's safe to say I didn't handle some interpersonal relationships well. I didn't handle some things with some clients well. And ultimately, I mean, brutal honesty, I didn't do what they hired me to do. And it turned out to be a great wake-up call for me. And listen, not to be said, like, I, I did a lot of good stuff. I did a lot of great projects. But at the end of the day, it just was not the right role. And ultimately, I lost my job. So I read your LinkedIn article about owning your L, or I guess it was for, for losses. So, so what, what does yeah, that man. mean to you? Yeah, I mean, listen, it, it comes down to to accountability. And I think it's safe to say prior to me losing my job at Vayner, I never really looked in the mirror and said, you know, what am I good at? Why do I keep screwing up? Why am I making mistakes? Am I doing something that I don't love? And it really took that moment when I was at my lowest to to have to look in the mirror. And I always say this too, there, there's no greater foundation than bottom, than rock bottom. And I needed to hit rock bottom to really look in the mirror and say, what am I doing? Do I want to be doing this? Do I want to continue to do this for the rest of my career? And honestly, the answer the answer is no. So the way the story goes, and, I, and I've told it a bunch, but on that day that I got let go, you know, Gary and I, you know, have a good relationship. We have a great relationship. And he spent about an hour with me and he said, stop focusing on the things that you suck at and double down on your strengths. And I let that sink in for a minute. And I thought he was just kind of like patting me on the back and saying, all right, go get it. You know, good, good luck, buddy. Get out there, you know? But then we we dug into it and we unpacked it and we spoke about what I'm great at and some of the things I'm not so good at. And he's like, listen, back then I was, I was 35 at the time. He's like, you know, are you going to spend the rest of your life trying to fix things that you're not so great at and you don't enjoy? Or do you really want to spend that and focus and double down on your strengths? And that's exactly what I did. And all signs pointed me towards recruiting. All signs were pointing me in the right direction. And that was scary, man, to say, shit, at, at 35 years old, am I going to start a new job, a new career? I'm going to start at ground zero. And that, that was hard. That was a really tough pill to swallow. And that was, a, that was a tough point in my life for a few months. So when you talk about just doubling down on your strengths, ignoring your weaknesses, I, it reminds me of this test I did a while back, the Colby test. Have you done that? K-O-L-B-E. It's no, like, I, I am I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm one of these guys. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest about it. I hate personality tests. I hate strengths finders. I know a lot of people find value in them, but that's just not my thing, man. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm but, sure but, but it helps a lot. It helps a lot of people because it gives them those signs and indicators that they're looking for. Yeah. So I, I guess maybe one of those things, if you don't have the self-awareness or the confidence to focus on the things that you're good at and ignore the, ignore your weaknesses, like Gary told you, that's what I got out of those tests was it was like, you're naturally not good at these things. And it gave me a tool that I could share with some of my, uh, my coworkers to say, these are the areas where I really just shouldn't be spending my time. It's stressful to me. It feels like a burden. I don't exactly. like it. And, uh, and was able to move on. You know, you know, it's interesting though, too, we talk about accountability. And I think for me, the big thing, Chris, is it opened up vulnerability, that I was able to start to talk about these things that I didn't like put up this protective shell, this facade. And that really helped me bring out my true self. 
and my true personality. And once I got into recruiting, once I got some wins under my belt, you know, I took plenty of punches to the face in recruiting. And anybody who's in recruiting, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But it really wasn't until I went out and launched my, my own business, NHP Talent Group here, that all that confidence, you know, came to light. And it wouldn't have happened until unless I hit my lowest. And that opened up the real vulnerability and accountability of Vortex, which helped everything. Yeah. All right. So before we pivot into the recruiting and leave this, the Vayner world behind, I'm curious, like no, no boss wants to let an employee go. It's a tough thing for everyone. No one wants to go through that, but it sounds like it was a good turning point for you, a good experience that opened your eyes to some things. So when you think back on that exit, are there things you would recommend to people if they have to let someone go, how should they handle that to be, you know, the most useful for the person? That's it. <clears throat> That's a great question. I really haven't talked about that. So thanks for bringing that up. So listen, as a as an employer, it is definitely the hardest thing you have to do, right? I mean, some people are cold-blooded and they could do it. But at the end of the day, we're in the people business and it's hard. This is someone's livelihood. This is their future. And listen, I've had to let people go too. And it's, and it's terrible because I've been fired and let go multiple times in my career in good ways and bad ways. And listen, let, let's be honest about this, Chris. <clears throat> if it's performance-related, and you get let go for performance related and you had no clue it's coming, either something's greatly wrong with you or something's greatly wrong with the company. You know if you're not doing well. And if a company's doing the right thing, they're trying to coach you along the way. They're giving you performance reviews. They're having those conversations. So I had those conversations at Vayner. It wasn't a shock to me. I mean, I thought they were going to maybe transition me to another role. I expressed interest in other areas of the business. But it really, it really comes as no surprise. So when that time comes, handle with care. Handle ha handle with the care, but at the same time, it's also a, a business. So you want to you want to do your best to make sure that they have a soft landing. It is a company's responsibility to make sure that somebody has a soft landing. We're not going to handhold them through till their next job, but we want to give them a soft landing. We want to give them the tools. We want to give them like the the opportunity to to talk about you know in an exit interview and take that information to heart and utilize it for positive feedback in the future for the company. And Vayner, Vayner, Vayner did it well. You know, they, 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 treated, they treated me with class. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you for sharing that. So, yeah, all right. Sure. So on to recruiting, you, yeah. did you, did you know you were great at recruiting? Like this is a big pivot. You're in your, your mm. mid thirties, you take this new job, new career, not a ton of experience. Like why mm. recruiting? Because it, it really, it was a, it was a very logical transition from what I was doing because I went into recruiting for marketing, media, and advertising. So I already had the category expertise. Dude, I was recruiting for jobs that I've had, jobs that I work with, everyone that I work with. So I had the network, I had the Rolodex, I had all the contacts there. But what I had to learn, Chris, was the art and science of recruiting. Now, the science of recruiting, that took work. You have to understand how to recruit, how to be a recruiter. It's one of those things, man, right? Like everyone's like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, come on, I'm going to go into real estate. I'm going to be a real estate agent, right? Because everyone thinks that maybe they bought a house or two and maybe they've done some home renovations. Now they're a freaking expert in, in real estate, but they don't know shit. They don't know about the process, the legal, the mortgages, the tax implications, the entire process of what it takes to actually buy and sell a home. Forget it. That's what you need to learn. But me going into recruiting, it was the same thing where I had to learn that. Now, the art of it, that comes with experience. But there's also a bit of finesse that comes into recruiting because ultimately, the number one thing in recruiting for a recruiter is you have to understand a candidate's motivation. Why is Chris looking for a new job? Is Chris looking for a new job because he's not happy where he is? He's undervalued. He's looking for a, a pivot, a career change. He's not making enough money. Are they looking to make a move out of state? Like All these reasons, because that's your leverage. And that's something I inherently knew 
how to ask because I'm a conversationalist and I'm naturally inquisitive and I want to know about people and situations. So when I got on the phone with candidates, that came naturally because I also went back to my past and thought about all those times where I wanted to leave jobs. Because once you have that motivator, that's your leverage as a recruiter. I'm not using leverage in a negative way. I'm using that as a motivator. Why does Chris want to leave his job? Let's every point of the process through our conversation, we're touching base on that. Chris, you know, in your, in your current role, you're not getting X, Y, Z. The more conversations you're having with the team, are you seeing those opportunities for X, Y, and Z? Do you feel confident that this role is going to give you X, Y, and Z? Those are the things you need to know as a recruiter. And, and that takes time and experience. I know this isn't rocket science, but I'd love for you to share just some of the top motivations that you hear from people, because I think sometimes people need to, we know these things as business owners, we know what people need to be happy, but if we're, if we're not asking them, uh, we can lose sight of these simple things. So what are the, the main motivators for people wanting to switch jobs? Well, it's interesting because it's not, it's not always rocket science. And I think one of the core motivators is a clear career path. Sometimes that career path is not defined in an organization where Maybe there's someone ahead of you. Say you're in a smaller organization and you're director level and there's a VP in front of you and that VP here, she is not leaving for a long time. Your roadblock, that happens. Money is obviously a motivator. I mean, we're seeing it now in this market and, and I know you wanted to talk about it a little, a little later on, but it's a great point to talk about. Right now is, is a insane, I, it's not a natural candidate market because it happened due to the pandemic. Right. So it's not a natural progression of the economy and everything. And I guess if you're looking at it in a, in, a, in, a, in a macro level, nothing's organic like that. Everything's organic. But you can't fault candidates right now for playing the salary arbitrage game. If you have an opportunity to make a significant jump forward in your compensation, why wouldn't you take it right now? Well, I mean, why, why wouldn't you? I don't fault candidates for that. The problem is a lot of companies are desperate and they're hiring people at a lower level uh, at a higher level entitled than they are in experience. And what's going to happen, my prediction, is going to be after the great migration. I don't call it the great resignation. I call it the great migration because people are moving and changing jobs. But what's going to happen is a great recalibration. And here's where the rubber hits the road. I'll, I'll give you an example of this, if you don't mind. Companies looking to hire a director level, director of marketing. And the market is dictating that current qualified candidates are just way above their compensation level. So they take a step down and they hire a manager or senior manager for that director role. And that candidate is just not ready yet. But they're like, hey, Chris is showing great aptitude. He has a great attitude. He's a go-getter. Next thing you know, Chris is in the role six months, rubber hits the road, and just you're not performing. You're not up to that level. They're putting you up against the clients who are, you know, senior level marketers, 20 years experience, and you just can't, it's not a good match. Now the great recalibration comes and they're like, shit, you know, Chris isn't right for this role. And what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to let you go. They're going to have to go back to the well. And now the entire cycle starts again. Now it's great for us recruiters who are being compensated on that, right? I mean, that's good for my business, but it's not good for your business. And this is happening. So this is the first time I've heard the, the great recalibration. It makes so much sense because I do see people taking titles that feel like a progression for them. It's a big salary jump. They're excited about it. It's a new challenge, new opportunity. They don't have the experience, just like you said. And then they get into that job for three months, six months, and they realize that they're not knocking it out of the park. They're not performing like they did at their old title or in their old role or in their old culture, and they're struggling. And so if those people are struggling, then do you think that they just stick it out until they have the experience? Do you think they kind of do a em employee down round and like take a Yeah, I mean, that never, that never happens. Yeah, so, yeah, so what, what happens when people are in that, in that zone where they feel like they've earned this position, but they don't yet have the experience? 
And that's another thing too that we're seeing. Okay, so let's say now now you've gotten this high title and you get let go. A, how are you going to explain yourself when you get back on the interview track? And and B, are you qualified for that position? So you are seeing some people here and there. It's a tough one. But now these people are kind of in this career purgatory. They've gotten themselves up to a certain compensation level and a certain title level, and they don't want to take a step back, but they might have to. These are all the things we're seeing two years after the pandemic. And let's talk about this. Who is the pandemic really hurting right now? It's newer and younger employees to an organization. Companies that went 100% remote. And listen, I'm, I'm in the camp of, of hybrid. I'm in the hybrid camp. I think that a company really needs to, in this day and age, trust, options, and choice. Right? Those are the three things. Trust, options, and choice. Trust an employee that you hire to get their work done anywhere and anywhere. Have an option if they want to come into a physical office and give them the choice to do whatever they want. That works for them. Yeah. That's and that's exactly what we're seeing right now. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's really not rocket science. Now, listen, there's obviously nuances and context. Listen, if you're an iron worker, you need to be at the iron plant, right? I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like there's certain contexts or certain jobs need to be in a physical office. We get that. We're also seeing, despite all the buzz on LinkedIn, there's a lot of people that actually want to have an office. It's their escape. It's their escape from their home because there's too many distractions at home. You and I both have kids. I can't even tell you how many times that I decide to work from home and not my office. And I regret it because my four-year-old is kicking the door down when I'm on a call. <laughs> right? Like sometimes I actually have to get out and have this quiet space where I could focus, where I could do my work. How about this? How about how about the single the single parents that are stuck in a small one-bedroom apartment in an inner city with 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 with, with multiple kids with crappy Wi-Fi? They can't do their job there. Their job is on the line. They go to the office because that's where they work. That's their escape. But people aren't talking about it because it's not sexy. Yeah, no, I, I think the office has it definitely still has a place. And like you said, it's an option. It's there for the people that need it. It's there for the people that want it. There's certain roles that just kind of require it. If you want to get get stuff done, you're, you're more productive in an office. And, and it's not for everybody, but I think the optionality is important. And then also people have to understand what environment they want to work in because they have a lot of choices right now to pick companies that have those types of amenities or don't. Yeah, I mean, listen, let's talk about the news. Um, Brian Chesky, the, 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 the founder and CEO of Airbnb, Airbnb. he tweeted yesterday um, He tweeted yesterday that Airbnb is going 100% remote. I'm like, first of all, that makes sense from a brand perspective. I mean, that's not rocket science. I mean, he's been doing it for the last couple of years. But if you actually follow the thread, two, two or three posts down, he talks about the importance of on-site and collaboration. So he's saying we're 100% remote, but he's also saying the teams are going to get together quarterly. The offices are open if you want it. So this is somebody that actually understands and believes in the value of in-person collaboration. There's plenty of companies that have proven it out successfully of 100% remote. There's no right. There's no wrong here. And that's why it's such a gray area. But you cannot you cannot not – you have to listen to your employees. That's a big takeaway here. And if you don't listen to them – and give them a choice and an option, you're going to lose them. And those are the old school companies that are losing right now. Attrition's yeah. through the roof. So, so for a brand that's a company that's listening, that wants to attract people, that wants people putting in applications, that wants to be an attractive brand, what do you think are the hallmarks of an attractive brand right now? Empowering your employees to be your best talent acquisition advocates. Giving your employees free range to say whatever the heck they want on LinkedIn about your company because you trust them because it's a good vibe and it's a good thing going on there. And when they see it, people, I mean, it's, 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 it's the best product review out there. 
right? Like think about it, right? If you have your employees talking about positive, positively about your company, your product, your services, who wouldn't want to work there? And I've seen it work. I mean, it literally is the easiest and best technique for talent, for talent, uh, for talent um, acquisition. So pros and cons of having your employees be your recruiters, bringing in all, all their friends. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen, it, it's not just a nepotism game there too, but it, and, it, and it's not. It's not about bringing in their friends, but it's if they have a, a an audience on LinkedIn or other platforms that they're building up and talking about it, it's brand awareness. It really is the best in, in, in candidate marketing out there by far. The other piece companies could do is how do they position themselves as thought leaders within the company? How do you feature people within the organization? And we're not talking about top execs who are, let, let's just say you're a performance marketing agency and you have a junior marketer in your company going on LinkedIn on a company made video talking about, uh, hey, maybe there's a new technology out there. Maybe there's a new best practice out there. That's awesome. You're not just putting the senior level talking heads out there. That makes a big difference and that works. Yeah. People want to work for and with people that they like, I think. And when you get to see Always. other people and you get exposed to other people, it makes you be like, oh, I want to be in that place. It's not necessarily the company that they want to work for. Sometimes that helps, but often it's the people. It's the people they see posting, the conversations they see happening, the photos. And do, do, do the people look happy? Do I want to be around those people? Yeah, but it's also the trust factor too. If I see somebody freely talking about their company and genuinely happy about it, and it's not like they're putting an affiliate link where they're getting a referral bonus for hiring. But when they're talking about their company, I mean, there's nothing greater than that. It's organic. It's genuine. So what do you think brands or, or companies, small businesses can do to foster that? You know, we, a lot of, a lot of my direct reports, which are on the leadership team, um, want to be thought leaders and they want to be out there speaking and sharing things. But for the entire company, how do you encourage that or, or really foster that? I mean, a great under underutilized way is a company podcast. And I, I'm working with, I'm consulting with a couple of companies right now on how do you create a company podcast, which is great because you feature internal employees, you highlight clients. That's another great way to deepen relationship with clients. And then you have a treasure trove of content to cut clips from and put out there. Have your employees share it. Feature employees. Do employee spotlights. There's a million things you could do with the power of a podcast internally. I love that. So just a podcast that interviews all your employees about what it's like to work in your business, like an internal not podcast? Even, I mean, not even just that. I mean, you're interviewing them on current events and thought leadership. And it can be a quick thing. It can be a weekly 15-minute, you know, just a quick snippet. Hey, this hey, this week we're featuring Chris. He's a, you know, a senior account manager. And Chris, we're going to talk about what's happening in the world today of current events. You'd be like, well, listen, Google just announced this new platform. Here's the pros and cons about it. Here's what else we're seeing. Also, we just did a great case study with one of our clients that did X, Y, and Z. 15 minutes, digestible, weekly, easy to produce. That's cool. Low like that. cost. Yeah, yeah, I like that. All right. So when it comes to recruiting, uh, this is a function that, you know, some businesses as they grow have in-house. Some businesses will hire firms like yours to help them with this. Uh, some businesses just aren't good at this at all and put zero attention into it. <laughs> so, you know, if people are, are just getting started with the hiring game and they've exhausted their close friends and they're starting to, to try to find talent, like how, how would you advise them to get started? It has to start at the top. If the executives are not making hiring and people first, then it's not going to trickle down. Hiring has to have a seat at the table. 
Hiring has to have a seat in budget conversations. It has to be a priority because here's what's going to happen. When it's not a priority, it's going to trickle on down. People are going to leave the organization. Attrition is going to happen. And when you have folks that are stuck covering two or three other people's roles, guess what? They're out the door and it's a vicious cycle. We've seen it all. So number one, first and foremost, companies have to put hiring at the top. If you're able to budget and and have a hiring team, and we're not just talking about a head of people because a head of people may not want to get their hands dirty at a certain level. You need actual hands-on recruiters. And if you can't afford that, you you do have an internal hiring person who's going to be your inside quarterback, who's going to be managing that process and then finding a talent partner, whether somebody like myself, where we are true consultants versus a lot where people think about recruiters out there that are fee-based and throwing resumes at a wall, someone who could really be your outsource partner. Or you find other ways. You're working with job boards. You're working with other talent resources out there, but you need to find what works for you and test and learn. Yeah, it's a, it's it's kind of a, a a trial and error, I think, right? But you've got to have someone inside that's quarterbacking. I think that's an important point here. You know, when you don't when want your first, you don't want your CEO freaking organizing interviews. Yeah, yeah. When when we first started, you know, it was me doing the interviews for the first of few people. But then I brought on someone. She was uh, an assistant, an operations manager, and kind of like our chief of staff. And she just quarterbacked everything. I mean, all the people that we, we need to meet. Um, how how long do you think the uh, the the founder or the CEO should be involved in the interview process? I mean, listen, that's a, that's a pretty that's a pretty broad question. There it really depends, obviously, on on the size of the organization. But you know, I'm a true believer in, in, from a leadership perspective in in outsourcing. Um, so I think that it's critical that the uh, especially in the early days of an organization when it's when it's you know a handful of people that the CEO, the founder, the president is making that key hiring decision especially for key leadership roles, but there has to be a point where you're delegating. And by the time a candidate gets to you, it's more of a sign-off because you trust your team. I know that Chris, Bob, and Jane met with this candidate. They all give their seal of approval. By the time that candidate gets to me, I'm going to have a couple of questions. I'm not really digging into their skill set, but I really want to see about their character and their values to see if that's going to mesh well in our organization. When you're working with a, a client of yours, how do you get to the heart of their of their brand, their culture, to really understand who they are before you can find someone that's going to fit in. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. It's taken me a long time to figure that out. And, it, and it's kind of funny. I, I find a lot of value in actually the interview process. And I always say, because I'm an outsider, I'm not inside the company. I can't always speak to their culture. And culture is such a silly buzzword these days. I mean, what does culture even mean? You know, prior to the pandemic, culture was like, oh, we all get together Thursday nights and we, we go into the break room and we have a keg and beer pong. And, you know, we go down to the local bar and we hang out and, you know, we, we play foosball like that. That's not culture. I mean, especially in this world, how do you even define culture when everyone's on Zoom all day? You know, culture really is defined as, in my opinion, do you feel valued in your job? Do you have a clear career path? And are you genuinely happy? And do you feel like you have a purpose in your job? And if those are boxes are checked, then, then that's what it really is all about in this day and age. So that definition of culture is changing every single day. So how do you kind of put your needle on it? And for me as an outsider, I just want to finish that thought. How a company handles and manages the interview process, how responsive they are to my emails, how responsive they are to scheduling candidates, giving feedback, making decisions, making strong offers, that's culture. That's indicative of culture because that means they're putting people first. Let's call it what it is, man. I was going to say the exact same thing. I literally wrote down, it's how you make decisions and how you act on feedback. You know, like the, your behaviors are your culture. Is what, what, what you do in certain situations yeah. are what really defines your culture. And so I, I love that you said that. So uh, recruiting in a way is a, a little bit like matchmaking, right? You're trying to get to know the company. You're trying Something to get to like know that. the candidate. 
Are there special questions you ask a, a candidate as you're trying to figure out what they're all about? I asked her sign. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's interesting too, because I've kind of evolved my, my interview uh, a bit and I feel like I kind of have a spidey sense at times, but I also know very well that I have biases. And I also know that some people are really good at interviewing and some people are not. So I give a lot of leeway if someone's nervous, but I could also tell the difference of being underprepared and uninterested versus nervous. There's human behaviors that you need to understand. Underprepared and uninterested are red flags for me. I don't, I don't like, I don't like those at all. But as far as go-to questions, you know, I like to, I like to ask people, tell me who you are and what you do best. Tell me who you are and what you do best. What do you do? You know, I want to know how and what you did. Not, you know, I, I want to dig into it. Like, like, how did you do that? What was your contribution depending mm -hmm. on the role and the level? I want to, I want a quantifiable results. But I really also want to know your motivator. Going back to what we spoke about earlier, you know, what you're looking for. I want to hear your story and the ability to tell a good story for, for most of the roles. Now, listen, a lot of roles, I mean, technical roles, who gives a shit what story you're telling or if you could tell a story? That doesn't matter because you're doing a technical development role. But if I'm working in marketing communications, you better be able to tell a story articulately. <laughs> so let me go back to something else you said uh, earlier. You... Uh, so you were talking about, um, you know, to, as you're interviewing people, as you're taking them through this, this process, the process really shows what the, the company culture is all about. Do you recommend doing kind of test work for the person, a test project? How do you feel about that? Yeah, this is, this is iffy. This is a touchy subject here. Um, once it kind of shifted to the pandemic and it became more of a candidate driven market, the leverage pendulum, you know, switched over to candidates where people are like, I ain't doing shit. What do you want me to do? You want me to do a written test? You want me to do a project for you and give you my time? And that's a tough one too, because as I said before, some people are really good at interviewing, but when the rubber hits the road, you know, they, they can't step up to the plate. So that's why small assignments, you know, aren't the worst thing in the world to ask, but as long as you're being mindful of someone's time and giving them enough time to do it. Yeah. A small, yeah. And, and, and that assignment can't be a related to current, it has to be a hypothetical. My God, if a company asks somebody to do real work and doesn't offer to pay them, Oh, that's, that's, I will never do that with a client. But you can offer to pay them, right? As like a con little consulting project and see how it works. Yeah. yeah and, and I've even advised clients too, for even hypothetical projects to offer an Amex gift card. And I say it up front, I'm like, Hey, listen, once you hand this project in just as a little token, you know, we're going to give you a $200 Amex gift card. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Just to say, Hey, listen, we value your time. We know this is a hypothetical. It, it's just a small token instead of obviously like invoicing them and cutting them like, Make it easy. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great suggestion. So, so many awesome tips here. I mean, about the, the your story and how you went ended up in recruiting, and then I think how small businesses should think about their culture, their hiring process, attracting the right candidates, and 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 uh, you know taking care and listening to their people. So, uh, as we kind of wrap this up, the 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 last thing I'm curious about is you know recruiting itself is a pretty competitive, saturated market. And so tell us a, a little bit about NHP and, and how you've stood out or how you've attracted candidates. Or <clears throat> yeah, well, it's two things. Yeah. I mean, for, first and foremost, I mean, everyone says what's different about your recruiting agency. I mean, it's it's really cliche, but it's it's me and the folks that work for me. We are all executive level, executive search level recruiters who apply executive search level techniques, but we operate on an hourly basis. We operate with a management consultancy model. So it's a different approach where ultimately we want to be valued and viewed as a partner and not a vendor. 
And if the clients are on board with that, those are our best clients. But if you treat us like a vendor, A, that's not the relationship we want to deal with, and B, you're not going to get the results that you want. So we have to be very clear about that. The other way I stand out is what we're doing right now is the podcast. I created the podcast as a way for me to express myself, to connect with my network. And after, you know, 200 plus episodes and half a million downloads, it's become a magnet. It's become a magnet for, and, and a platform for thought leadership. I mean, I get reached out to all the time for, for speaking, for talking about podcasting and recruiting, and it's created, it's created a magnet, an audience, it's a legion. So you've taken your own medicine, just in the same way you said companies should ha- be producing content, mm-hmm. their people should be out there. That's what you're doing for your business. It's, exact, it's exactly what I do. And, it, and it's fun. And I get to turn on these lights in my studio every once in a while. <laughs> I love it. Adam, uh, any final tips that you want to share to people? Any final big lesson takeaway? Yeah, I mean, this is a lesson that, 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 that kind of applies to everybody. And it was instilled with me by, on my first day of recruiting by my recruitment mentor, Tom Hall, before I turned on my computer, before I reached out to my first candidate. He said, listen, recruiting is insane. You're going to get pulled in a lot of different directions, but you need to stay focused and keep moving those chess pieces forward all the time. So plan your work and work your plan. And I repeat that mantra every day, plan your work and work your plan. That keeps me focused on a micro level, a macro level. I mean, I'm literally writing notes and to-do lists all day long. And I look down at that list at the end of the day and I could say with confidence, I got my stuff done for the day that I planned on. Or for some reason, I didn't get to it and it's got to go to tomorrow, but at least I have a plan moving forward. I love that. All right. Adam Posner, again, founder and president of NHP Talent Group, plan your work work your plan, take all these tips he had about recruiting. And if you can't do it yourself, reach out to him or someone like that, because this is important. Businesses need to find the right people. It is everything at a business to surround yourself with the right people that can do the work that aren't ahead of their title, like we talked about, and can, uh, can, can stick with you. So Adam, thanks again for all the tips. Chris, awesome, man. Thank you for having me and great to meet your audience. Hey, thanks for listening to Organized Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or share it with anyone in your network that you think could benefit from this information. For episode show notes, podcast recaps, and tons of other small business news and inspiration, check out the manual. That's trainual.com backslash manual.